The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling, is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, welcome in to this fine and dandy morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're watching this or listening to this. It's the Story World Podcast with me, Steve, and your boy, Al. What's up, Al? Wow, now I'm confused on what, what time of day it is. I'm always confused on what time of day it is because I have blackout curtains. <laughs> you didn't know if so it, it it's could the be same the time of day. The afternoon. It's always the same time of day, every day. At one point or another. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere, <laughs> said the great theologian Jimmy Buffett. Yes. Oh, I just recently heard a stat that on YouTube that if you don't if you don't do your job to keep people around after for the first 30 seconds then they won't stay so you guys are getting ready to go bye bye now and so uh we'll see you guys later uh, for the rest out, of you from here on out for the rest of you we, want. we can say yeah that's exactly right so we have 30 seconds to capture their attention and that's usually when we banter um uncontrollably and irresponsibly back and forth so it's good to know at least we enjoy it one at of least us we enjoy it. enjoys it yeah one of us so uh, we are talking, uh, we're in my lane tonight a little bit and talking about uh, some marketing stuff. And specifically what we want to do is talk about the difference between direct response marketing and branding and advertising. And this is a really cool uh, subject to me because they are, uh, when most people think of marketing, they don't really think about like two different kinds of marketing and what that might entail. And, uh, but it's true. There are a couple different uh, types of marketing kind of depending on the goals that you have. And we're just going to kind of jam back and forth a little bit on what that's like and and uh, and kind of go from there. So if you have a business or you work in a job or somebody depends on you to, um, you know, make important decisions and lead the home, believe it or not, you have a job in marketing. Um, we all do. Marketing is self-promotion. Marketing is business promotion. And so um, no matter what you do or think you do, uh, marketing is beneficial to you. And so it's, um, it's a good thing to learn. Uh, before we get into this, Steve, direct response marketing versus brand and advertising. Quick question. Yeah. So is that, is this something, are those two things that are mutually exclusive? Should you focus on one versus the other, I guess, depending on what you're doing mm -hmm. or is it okay to, to do both, to focus on both? They, the direct response marketing almost pictures like if you're if you're out of town for a night obviously a single lad and you see a girl that that you think is cute you want to ask her or whatever you gotta you gotta really get in there make a make a good good appeal hopefully to get her interested in you whereas the brand and advertising almost seems like a build-up like maybe a girl in your hometown that you're trying to win over slowly and get an appeal yeah. going on i don't know that's just kind of what comes to mind the direct response marketing really seems like a like a hook line sinker and then the brand and advertising seems like a long haul sort of thing. 
yeah. So you're you're really getting to the heart of it, right? I mean, you're 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 getting there. Um, I know so, my marketing. You know your marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you must. You must. I, mu I must. So yeah, it's it's when when you consider the two different ways of going about it. I mean, you're asking the right question. But this is a question in which people for many, many decades now have had very strong opinions uh, one way or the other. Like some people believe that you should only do direct response marketing and any branding that happens is basically a side effect of the direct yeah. response that you've marketing that you've done. Um, and then there are other people who believe that brand is the only thing that wins in the end that you might be able to make some numbers work and you might be able to make some sales with direct response but the thing that breeds sort of long-term loyalty and fidelity and recognition and survivability frankly is uh is brand and so that's where the division kind of lies and then you do have some people who utilize elements of both very very well um and just to kind of dive right into it one of the one of the big reasons why this is the case is because one is typically a lot more expensive than the other at least in terms of traditional media think about television advertising um billboards even some magazine ads like you know if you see like a full page ad in a magazine that's basically just like a picture of the thing and then a little bit of text about how great the thing is right these are all versions of brand and advertising where you are trying to elicit feeling um and you're trying to elicit association a great example is the super bowl ads Right. Yeah. Look at what the Super Bowl ads are trying to do. Um, they're not they're not trying to even get you to perceive that Coke tastes good, for example. Mm -hmm. What they're trying to get you to to do is they're trying to find their people. They're trying to find the people who believe like they do and get them to mentally assent to that belief and then be like, okay, next time I go to the restaurant i'm gonna make sure to ask for a coke you know that kind of thing or i'm gonna go buy a nike shoe what's whatever. funny about that is i've seen commercials where um companies typically companies who are not well known really um shoot for that in in strikeout big time um we don't actually we don't have like cable or dish or anything in our house so we don't see commercials in that regard very often but when we were on vacation a month or so ago um the commercials were coming up on the tv and there's just one commercial throughout the night that we saw uh, like three different times and every single time at the end of it, um, my wife and I looked at each other and we said, what was that commercial about? And I think that the company was going for that feeling or trying to yeah. really capture a knot on the product, which obviously can work. But at the end of it, I thought, I don't even know what this company does or what they're looking for. Um, and That's obviously right. that was an example of a really big miss. Mm -hmm. I mean, to illustrate the difference really clearly, you know, imagine on one side the 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 Super Bowl ad, which is kind of like the extreme like yeah. version of brand and advertising because normal ads even 
um, normal ads by those same companies don't go even that deep into the branding, eliciting a feeling kind of thing. Like I, I remember, just let's just stick with the Coke example. You know, you remember the those Coke commercials from back in the early 2000s that had the polar bear with the Coke, yeah, and he would like, good. you know, yeah. pop it off and he would go, you know, he would drink it and be like, and you that know, Coke looks so good. Mm-hmm, it did look so good, right? And even that, so that was eliciting a feeling, but it was directly tied to the product. So contrast that or even the Super Bowl version of that ad where I think it was Coke who had the, you know, the horses, the, um, like the really nice horses. I forget what they're called now. Uh, no, that's Budweiser. Sorry. It's Budweiser that has the, yeah. the, the horses. Um, anyway, so anyway, just think about that. And then swing the pendulum to the complete other end of the spectrum and you end up with late night infomercials. Okay. <laughs> okay. Late night. And, and you think I'm kidding. Late night infomercials are basically one of the best examples, at, at least older ones. I haven't watched them lately, but I'm sure yeah. they're just about as good. But see, back in the hey, back in the day, it was like the heyday of those. And so they were really good. They were companies were spending big bucks on these, you know, were they almost seen as like, and all of them. Were, were they seen as like, were they seen as like semi entertainment back then too? I remember them on frequently. And it, would it be something that people would consider like watching for, for fun? No, in a way, no, I, and not unless, um, I mean, I was entertained by them, but, but the point, well, that's why I'm asking. I would watch them sometimes for like, you know, a little bit, just see what was happening. They are very intelligently designed everything that they do and looking back on it now like i wish i had almost like i had no idea to know what to look for but i wish i had been paying even more attention to them than i was because looking back at those ads um they were incredible uh they're very intelligently designed every single second of those 30 minute ads are are designed and if you notice they, they go through sequences and cycles where like you know they'll be with all the people in the room in the kitchen <laughs> around the little around the little tool or whatever and then you'll go through like a five to ten minute call to action sequence where they're running through the offer of what you get and the stuff is coming up on the screen and it's like call now and we'll double your order and call now and, and you still see on daytime tv like miniature versions of these like like when I go to get my car worked on, I kind of watch TV, but when I go to get my car worked on, for example, and the TV's on there and the news is on or just whatever they have, you just constantly see these ads that are just like that. And so that is direct response advertising. The purpose is the numbers on the screen. Here's the offer. It's limited time and limited quantity, right? Limited supply, limited time only. This offer won't last long. Call now. Now, here's the question. Does branding happen as a result of that? Well, yeah, because we all know who proactive are. We Mm -hmm. all know who Ronco Knives are. We all know what the magic bullet is, right? All of these things, Tony Robbins, one of the most successful uh, business coaches in the world, I mean, probably the most successful business coach in the world, got his start in TV advertising with late night infomercials for his DVDs and products. and so massive brand appeal can in fact be built on the back of direct response advertising. And so here's the, here's the big thing. Um, if you got big, big dollars to spend it, and here in a minute, we'll come back to social media and where that fits in. Right. But in traditional media, billboards, TV, those sorts of things in traditional media, it takes a lot of money and there's no way to 
directly map the success of a campaign. In other words, you spend a gazillion dollars on whatever TV ad, and you have to track data over long periods of time with no um, immediate connection point between the two to see if your advertising campaign was ultimately successful. And at the end of the day, the only real question is, did we make more this year than we made last year? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, it's really hard to know what campaigns are working and what is effective when, when you're doing that. So the thing about direct response is that there are a compendium of um, tools and resources, and the internet has only made this easier, um, that you can actually use to track effectiveness of the campaigns to where you can literally say, okay, for every dollar I spent on this advertising campaign, I lost a dollar, I made $3, I broke even. And so you can see how that's very, very um, uh, powerful because it's something that little peons like me can tap into without having the big dollars to spend on brand name advertising that may or may not actually give you a a return. That's true. I never thought about that, um, that you you directly can can quantify and calculate the the return and the efficiency and all those numbers because you know how much you spent on the direct marketing. And mm-hmm. obviously you can know what you get in return based on that. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. And and one of the, the reasons why people don't like this, specifically why gurus who happen to have there's a specific person I'm thinking of, but anyway, he makes a lot more money than me, so it doesn't make sense for me to like call him <laughs> out or anything. So I'm not going to. This guy's but, an idiot. <laughs> but it's but it it's interesting how easy it is for gurus who sell brand and advertising services to recommend brand and advertising services. Yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like whole life insurance. Like Dave Ramsey says, the only people <laughs> who recommend whole life insurance are the people who sell it. Uh, and and um. Uh, you know, it's easy for them to say. Um, but if you need money now and, and you need to be able to track the effectiveness of your campaigns, that's really, really hard to do with um, with the kind of just amorphous brand advertising that, that most people want to put out there. Now, social media has made this a little bit easier because on social media, TikTok's um, organic discoverability and YouTube's or, or organic discoverability, you can actually be doing a lot of this brand marketing for yourself without even a huge budget, yep. just by putting great content out into the world and specifically making great content that is contextual to the platform. In other words, if you're making YouTube content, it should be content that is geared in mind with the audience. And, uh, and, like, What do people who watch YouTube expect to see? Well, if people want an example, too, of, of good content, that they're looking at it right now. They're looking at it right <laughs> They are. They are looking at it right now. And, you know, so, um, yeah, so it, it, it's interesting. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the Mad Men area. If you ever watched that show, Mad Men, um, that's, it gets that name because of admin. So there was like, you know, the 1950s, 60s, 70s, like this was sort of the, the, um, uh, the rise of the, of, of the big brand advertising. There was a book written a, a little over 100 years ago, I think now. I think it's that old. Uh, I think it was right around the turn of the century called Scientific Advertising. Uh, written by Claude Hopkins. Let me see when that was written. 
Um, I was just about to look it up. Let's see. We're, okay, you, you look it up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk. Um, scientific advertising was a book by Claude Hopkins, and it was it's one of the first like written out, um, if you will. I almost want to call it a manifesto. I mean, it's Dude. actually a. It's exactly huh? 100 years old. Exactly 100. Exactly 100 years old. Wow, that's cool. So, um, it, it it's almost like a manifesto, if you will, for direct response advertising for doing away with this notion of spending money without having an idea of how much money you made back on the campaign. And like you know, it it talks about principles like. You know, being able to like some of the stuff that that today it's like you know we see in our late night infomercials. Like some of these ideas were first articulated a hundred years ago. Like for example, letting people take a product for a test drive. Um, you know, put putting the product actually in his hands, and then making a guarantee, like an unbelievable guarantee, and then watching how few people actually take advantage of that guarantee to return the product or whatever at the end of the day. Yeah. Like all or or giving somebody a free trial. It's like a free trial is better than nothing at all. And then like a 30 days with the product with the guarantee of full money back with no problem is even better than a free trial. And it's like, there's different degrees to it, but no matter what you're doing, you can always make an offer. So like direct response has rules, right? Um, Dan Kennedy is one of the um, big, uh, um, you know, one of my heroes in, in this space. And he has these 10 rules basically of direct response marketing and just name a couple of them. It's like, there's always going to be an offer. So like if you put an ad out into the world that doesn't have an offer, that's stupid because what if the person who's seeing the ad is ready to respond right then, but you didn't ask them to? And people want to know what to, what to do. They want you to tell them what to do. Right? So it's always going to have an offer, right? It's always going to have a strong, um, uh, it should always have strong copy. For example, over and over again. And it's interesting that how, how people think, people really think that other people are sophisticated and they're just really not. Um, it's just really amazing what works. Like, like he, they, they recommend modeling mail order advertising. With the big bold chunky letters and the big paragraphs of text and the bolds and the highlights and the yeah. and the it's like the reason why that stuff works. What well, doesn't matter why it works. <laughs> it's you, you see the it, same thing on YouTube too with uh, the front on any videos. In fact, I think with ours you have big letters and that's right. Basically the same thing, and it seems kind of cheesy, but like what you said, it yeah it works. Well, the number one marketing sin is to be boring. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the number one marketing sin is to be. And I admit it's hard. Right. Yeah. You got to build a you got to build a, a, a persona and you got to get a personality and it does take time. And and branding does happen. Like right now, people may not know what the meter meter is, but if we keep doing this for the next five years, the meter meter is going to be like the premier way of ranking movies on the Internet. You know, it'll it's be just, the only way. You know, what's Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, I don't even know what that is. Like who would rank <laughs> movies by tomatoes? That's the that dumbest thing I've sense. ever heard. So, um, but it's really interesting. So as it comes down to like, you know, your goals around this stuff, the real question is, is what is your, is your business goal merely for people to have awareness of who you are and what you're doing? Or is your goal for people to respond? Now, most of the time, it's probably going to be the second one. You know, most of the time, you're probably going to want people to actually take action and re respond to ads that you're seeing. Because my guess is that you guys don't have unlimited marketing budgets, right? And this is just true across the board. Like if you're Coke or whoever, you've got an unlimited marketing budget and that's perfectly fine. And, and, and in fact, this is how crazy it is. The, did you guys know, and especially right now, like, the economy where it is, there's a little bit less of this going on. 
But did you guys know that when in the Silicon Valley, when like a new tech startup, you know, comes out like this new piece of software or whatever, like this thing called Uber or this thing called Airbnb, right? Or these little things that have popped up over the years that now, you know, did you know that when they are invested in, they, there's a term for it. It's, it, it's not, you're not optimizing for profit. You're optimizing for growth. So in other words, they go into the hole knowingly yeah. for sometimes with a plan to do this for five to 10 years mm -hmm. to optimize for user adoption and growth so that then they can come in and sell on the back end and raise the amount of value per customer that they make. And they've got this enough brand power after t five to 10 years of business operation. That's how long it takes to minimum to build a recognizable brand and to get the numbers to the point where they can end up being profitable. And so these companies have gazillions of dollars of investor input, and that's why they can spend unlimited amounts of money on ads. And so they have an ad budget, but it's insanely high because they're not even trying to make a profit. They know they're losing money. They're doing it on purpose. Now, it sounds dumb, but that's what they're doing. Okay. Now, if you're not like that, right? If you're a pizza shop down the road, or even if you have an online business and you're just trying not to not have profit, right? Because like I got into business to make money. I don't know about you, but I'm here to make money. So I want to make a profit. And so I want to not have an advertising budget. Like I have an unlimited advertising budget if I can put in $1 and get out three. Um, and so the goal is to optimize for copy and to optimize for a response and to see what levers you can pull and what knobs you can turn ever so slightly. And this is where you get into stuff like simply changing the colors on the website or mm. simply changing the uh, corners on your boxes from being rectangles to being rounded. When you run enough data through your stuff, you, it's amazing to figure out even just one word or one color difference or just one text arrangement difference, it will, it will make a, a difference in the amount of response over time if you're actually tracking and testing this stuff. And so that um, sort of optimization takes a while too, but it's, it's less expensive than brand advertising. So about like the example of the pictures, you know, either they're the rectangle and you can change them to a circle and just changing one word. It's, we've talked about this before, even with like writing that in the end there there's an optimal like decision like there there is in fact like a best decision to either word a sentence or display a picture yeah. or a photo and just thinking i don't even know if it touches on that a lot but the scientific advertising book like there is a science to everything like that and there is a best result to decide oh absolutely and this is this is it. so if marketing sin number 1 is don't is uh, being boring marketing sin number 2 is not testing so, like, here's the thing. You launch a landing page. You should have two headlines. Testing. And the internet makes this easy. Like, you can literally show 50% of the people who visit your page one headline and the other 50% a different headline. Hmm. See which one takes the action you want to take more often based on which page is displayed, which headline is displayed. Pick a winner. It's called a split test. You pick a winner, and then you start your next test. And and sort of the recommended way to do this is to test macro level first. So you could test two completely different landing page styles with the same product. You know, you're trying to sell yeah. the same thing. 
two completely different landing page styles. Okay, one of those wins. Boom, start there. Okay, now pick the next thing. You know, start with the headline. You know, because typically, like, the headline colors on your buttons, um, your bullet points, you know, those are some of the main high-level things that you can, like, levers that you can pull and actually make a difference. Um, you know, obviously some things, there's going to be correlations, but, um, you know, you typically don't, you're typically not going to test down to the level of like, oh, I'm going to put a period at the end of the sentence versus yeah, yeah, an exclamation right. point. You know, you're not typically, you know, going to do that, but you're going to optimize to to the point. Like optimizing for curiosity and optimizing for, um, um, again, color theory and just all of those things are are kind of the ways that you're going to do that. But again, with 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 brand advertising, imagine how hard that would be. Imagine how hard it would be oh, to yeah. run two full page ads, one one style and one another style in the same magazine in different geographies and gauge how that affected your bottom line if that if the if the purpose of that ad wasn't to find some response. You got you remember um reading those old like highlights magazines and I'm sure you've read plenty of magazines where there's like a little insert in there and it's yeah. a response card and you're supposed to fill it out and you check out a box. That's at least making an effort. I mean, that's ma that's more like mail order advertising. Yeah. That's direct response versus just looking at the thing and saying, Oh yeah, that brand looks great. Right. That's yeah. brand advertising. And, yeah. and it's really hard to, it's really hard to do. So the moral of the story is, is you can kind of start to get there with social media. Um, what I've seen a lot of people do is they get started in direct response, right? They get started there. They build up their, uh, a good pool of income. And then once they have the money, then they start going wide brand advertising, usually with social media as the foundation mm -hmm. and, and because they can afford to, because they can afford to not get a return from that money because they already have gotten the return or they're in other places getting the return. Um, and so there, you can kind of play both games at the, uh, at the same time doing it that way. And I, I've seen that, but the, the moral of the story is, is that if you have a product or a service or something that you're trying to sell and you're trying to market, um, yeah, don't like, I would recommend against, unless you're Coke, which you're probably not, if you're listening to this podcast, um, and you know, I, I would recommend against just throwing money at the wall. I would have a plan for getting a return for every dollar. And if you're not getting a return, turn the ad off. You know what I mean? Or go a different approach or, you know what I mean? Like, like try something different and, and try to actually get some response from what you're doing. And what you'll find over time, doing that long enough, you'll get brand recognition as a side effect, but you'll have gotten paid to get that brand recognition all along the way instead of um, just getting it you know, eventually by forking over tons of money. So mm -hmm. I'm a little biased. Obviously, obviously brand advertising has its place because look, here's a great example, right? So SEO, uh, search engine optimization, okay, for example, is it, it's kind of like a gradient, like a spectrum. Um, SEO is both brand advertising and direct response, depending on what your goals are. Typically though, um, with SEO, the goal is to get somebody to read an article. And then the goal of that article is to convert somebody into mm. an email subscriber or a customer or something like that. Like, unless it's like a lifestyle blog or a news blog. We're talking about in the context of business, like my website, I write articles so that people come to the article, 
see who I am and what I do and think I need to get on his email list. And then once they're on my email list, I'm going to try to turn them into a customer, right? That's, That's my good. goal. And so that is a form of direct uh, response. And so that is all well and good. But now what happens with tools like ChatGPT, where what you used to type into Google, you now type into ChatGPT and it doesn't take you to Google links anymore, right? It says, here's the answer, <laughs> yeah. right? And wow. if yeah. you say, if you say, who's the best web designer in Statesville, North Carolina, you don't even get to go um, show up at the top of the result anymore. It, it goes out and it says, based on the data, it looks like North Mac Services is the mm. best web designer in Statesville, North Carolina. Now, there's not even any competition. So who won that game? Well, the brand guy. Or with voice, because voice is getting popular, right? So I'm going to say Lexi. I'm not going to say her real name because then she'll kidnap. But, yes. but, but, when you, but what happens where you need a local service provider or something and you say, you know, you're not, and you say, you know, Lexi, get me this person. Mm. Like, because I've heard that they're the best. Like, that's, that's brand. So brand creates loyalty and, and brand creates something that sticks in your mind. So there's definitely a place for it. I'm not saying that brand is irrelevant. I'm just saying most of the time, it's going to be really hard to build up brand if you're not doing direct response along the way. So that's that. That's interesting. They really do go hand in hand then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they go hand in hand. One's not better than the other, um, depending on who you are. But, you know, like most small town people are not going to be able to afford traditional brand advertising. What would you so. say to someone who's um, doing something, well, kind of like me, for instance, like someone who is not necessarily in the service, but in the the field of wanting to either be a painter, a writer, um, mm -hmm. you know, someone who wants to develop their skill or talent and be able to sell that to people? So they don't necessarily have the product right then and there. Would you say that it's essential that it's the core foundation should be the branding instead starting out? Let me make another point and then I'll tie back into that. Because I think it's a good question. It's interesting. If you go to school to learn marketing, they don't, they don't teach you direct response marketing. They teach you branding and advertising. That's what they teach you if you go to school for a marketing degree. They teach you big data, right? They teach you how to be a marketing manager at a company, a mid-level company or whatever. What they don't tell you, because if they told you this, you wouldn't go to their school. What they don't tell you is that there are people every day who start businesses inside of their home at night before they go to work in the morning, learning from people online and go on to be people who bring in hundreds of thousands of dollars per month hmm. with what they do using principles of direct response marketing. For example, there are people right now whose name you have never heard of because you're not on their radar. You're not their target customer yet. You haven't fell into their fishing nets yet because you haven't been searching for what they've been targeting, okay? But these people are underground. You've never heard of them. But they're making millions of dollars per year. Have you ever heard of the name? I'll, I'll even give you one that's pretty well known. 
Have you, Alex, ever heard of the name Amy Porterfield? No. Mike Michalowicz, Craig Clemens. Okay. These are, uh, how, here's one, John Lee Dumas. Have you ever heard of John Lee Dumas? Does it ring a bell? Exactly. Right. So you will have no idea, but you know who Coke are. You know who Pepsi is. You know who, but right? So, so the thing is, is that all of these companies, like all these people that I just mentioned are people who do millions of dollars in revenue per year in their companies. One of them, their companies are like really lean too. They're like less than 10 people, yeah. right? Doing targeted internet marketing. Now you're not going to make that kind of money doing what they teach you how to do in school because in school, they're teaching you how to go work for somebody else and get paid a nice mm -hmm. little salary. Now, nothing wrong with a salary. Having a job is perfectly respectable. I used to have one. You have one now. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it, that isn't it interesting that if you go to school to learn how to do it, they'll teach you how to make a mid-level manager salary making somebody else rich. Yeah. But if you learn how to do it yourself, you learn a way that you can make yourself rich. Yep. Again, I'm using rich as just a, like, assuming that's your goal, whatever your goal is. I mean, presumably, most people want to make money. That's why you do marketing. That's why you have business and we have an economy and whatever. Even if it's to be able to give to charity, fine. But the goal is you'd like to make money. And, and so, so what would I do if I was a painter or if I was a, you know, a, a budding author or, or whatever? Well, I would, do, I would do direct response advertising with as much value as I possibly could. In other words, if I'm a painter, I would create a Facebook video. I would literally do what right. I was doing anyway. I would, so I would be, so my, I, I would go to my buddy's house who my buddy invited me over because he heard I was going to get into painting. And he's like, Hey, you can come check out my bathroom. Like, would you mind coming to paint my bathroom? Or you might even ask, Hey, I know your bathroom is looking a little rickety. Look, I'm wanting to start this painting business. Can I come over and, and help your bathroom to get a little practice or whatever? So then you go to, to your buddy's house to start painting his bathroom. You do what you were already doing anyway. And you pull out your camera yeah. and you say, painting tip number one. Here's how I prepare my brush for painting. And then you turn off your camera. And then you say, painting tip number two. Here's how I dip the paint and make sure that when I take the paintbrush out of the uh, can, I don't get any paint anywhere. Here's how I prep a room and tape the thing. And here's my special little hack for that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and you've got hundreds or thousands of videos like that. And what are you doing? You are educating. You're providing value to people to help them learn how to do the thing that you know how to do. And that sounds counterintuitive until you realize that the name of the game is that people think they want to know how to do it. Mm. But what they really want to know is who can do it. Mm. Okay. They think they want to know how, but what they really want to know is who. So what they're going to do is say, how do I prepare my room for painting? And they're going to find your video. And they're going to look at your video, be like, boy, that was like a great idea. But gosh, it's going to take a lot of time. Where does Fred live again? <laughs> right? Yeah. And in, at the end of Fred's video, Fred says, by the way, if you ever need a, if you ever need a painter, call Fred. Obviously, yeah. maybe a little more sexy than that, but that's the idea. And so, or if you're a writer, again, you're going to start telling your stories in public. You're going to start practicing in public and doing the thing that you do in public. You're going to start commenting um, on other stories. You're going to evaluate other stories and you're going to say, I really like this and here's why. As you're writing your own things, you're going to, you're going to like make this choice 
in your writing. And then you're going to post a little post on your blog that's like, hey, I just decided to use this line instead of this line. And I thought I would show you why. Right. So you're going to give people the backstage pass and and let them see what's what's going on. And so what's happening there is you're providing value for them in advance. But you're always upfront about the fact that you have books they can buy. It's like when you're telling them about that's the ultimate little, thing. Yeah. yeah. When you're telling them about the decision that you made, it's in the context of, hey, so I'm working on my latest book. And there's a link right there to the Amazon pre-order page. It comes out parentheses. It comes out August 22nd or, or whatever. I was, I made, you know, whatever. And so you're, you're going to do that kind of thing to start putting your work out there in public and people aren't going to find, and this is why it's important. So imagine you're trying to get noticed by a publisher and, uh, uh you send your stuff in and the publisher's like, this is great. Um, do you have like an online following or anything? No. Well, does anybody like know that you're writing this book? I mean, I've, t I've told my buddy Steve and like my wife and one or two other people. Oh, uh, bye-bye. <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy how you know? that world has changed since even- It has changed. 10 or 15 years ago, even. Like if mm -hmm. that's almost, it's almost a requirement. They don't need to see 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, but they want to see that you've written a blog for a year or that maybe you have- yeah. Yeah, like a couple hundred subscribers on YouTube, and that you imagine that same it. imagine that same publisher going to your website, you know, jagear.com or whatever it is. Imagine them going to your website, and they see an archive of posts about the work, helping other writers, even in your journey, and, and comments on your blog or on your YouTube channel. Oh, this tip helped me so much. That goes a long way with exactly the right people. Not only are you garnering new readers, but you're garnering the attention of the people who can get you more readers and who can accelerate your, your progress. And so the question is, is that brand or is that direct response? Well, the answer is yes. It's a little bit of both. Regardless of how you think about it, it's education. And that is the name of the game, content and education. Um, because that's how you create loyalty and fidelity and awareness with a user base, but you're never shying away from the fact that they have a thing you can buy, you know? And that's, that's kind of, that's why, why like the social media and blogging and YouTube, they've almost created this possibility of a middle ground where you don't have to spend the money that used to be required to get in front of a lot of people because the algorithms are selling ads or the, the platforms are selling ads. And so the algorithms will work to get the best content into the hands of more people so that they can serve more ads. And so today you have the opportunity to actually get brand level awareness and power in the context of educational materials that don't shy away from saying, hey, go buy my thing when it's ready. And so you can kind of do both in this world and not have to come up with huge advertising budgets. It's really kind of cool. And it's the greatest time. Like if, if you have a thing, like today, you should start advertising it and start talking about it. Just start educating people on it. And um, the more you educate, the more that will come back to you in spades. It's pretty cool. Yeah, good tips. I like all that, Steve.
Wait, uh, stories of the week. I've talked a lot. Please go first. No, it's fine. Yeah, th- well, this is kind of your realm anyway, so that's that's fine. Um, yeah. One kind of thing that two across my mind I just want to touch on is whether it's writing or something else. If uh, you're trying to, uh, the base level I think is whatever you're doing is that being competent at it. So let's say if you have an expert, ten out of ten in the subject matter. Let's just say it is writing. A super good author. Oh. Let's, Let's not say 10, 10. Let's say he's a 9 out of 10 writer, 8 out of 10 writer. And you come along and maybe you're like a 6 or 7 out of 10 as far as you're good, but you're definitely like not the best. But let's say you have a huge following where every time you put out a YouTube video, it gets 10,000 views where this person mm-hmm. doesn't have anything. Who's going to have the upper hand in either gathering attention from a publisher or being able to get the work or heck, just sell your own product? Um, mm-hmm. So... If you if you're at least competent at that base level, whatever subject that you want to be successful at, and then in addition to that, work on putting yourself up there and building your brand and everything, that goes a long way. There's a a case study um, from a, a guy who is one of the one of the great um, direct response copywriters of the past few decades, um, and the way his name's Gary Halpert. Um, the, he asked a room full of students this question one time, if you got a hamburger stand, right, you're a brand new business. You just set up this hamburger stand on the corner. What more than anything else do you need in order to be successful? And of course, everybody answers with, uh, well, you need a good process. You know, you need somebody doing advertising. You need a good manager. <laughs> you need cash flow. You know, you need all those things. And he said, everybody missed it. Um, the only thing that you need is a line of hungry customers. And if you've got a line of hungry customers, then you have a business. Mm-hmm. And that, like, you literally have the power to build up demand for your own thing by building up your own line of hungry customers. We all have the ability to do this. And it's the plan that I'm executing on in a few different domains every single day. And it's just like, it takes a while. So you better get started ASAP. That's my recommendation. Good recommendation. But yes, that brings us to the story of the week. I will go first. So my story of the week, I guess, was from a little bit ago, a couple weeks ago now. I'm not going to pronounce his last name right. His first name is Jacob. He is from Norway. Um, He's been on the running scene for quite a while. Um, I forget how old he is, maybe 22 or something. I I could be off on that. But he just broke the 25 a record that's been standing for 25 years he broke the uh running the fastest two miles um the record previously was seven minutes and 59 seconds and he beat it by a good five seconds so he did it in seven fifty. wow and that record stood for 25 years and he broke it by five seconds um so definitely a huge feat and people are talking about whether he's gonna break the one mile record um the guy just has a lot even more potential to keep going. But uh, just a really impressive record that, I mean, when you beat something that's been around for that long, um, it's uh, pretty crazy. So just some fun running news there. Oh, that's interesting. So so he ran two miles in seven minutes and 54 seconds. Is that it? Wow. I think the record, I'll be off a little bit on this, but I think the record for the one mile is like 335. Or 338 or it, it, it's around there um and so we're wow. like two miles yeah so 
Wow, that's crazy. I, my current, my current pace on my morning walks. Oh is boy, a br- is a brisk twenty-one minutes and thirty-four seconds per night. But that's a walk. So, um, yeah. have you heard of uh, Kipchoge? Huh. He's the um, like the best marathon runner of all time. He's it wasn't official because it wasn't during an actual race setting, but they set it up for him. He ran a marathon first person ever in under two hours. Um, but I think his official record Good is Lord. two hours and one minute and something seconds. Uh, but he basically, whenever that comes out, so I think it's a, so this guy ran two miles world record and basically a four minute pace. Uh, yeah. Kipchoge keeps like a four minute and roughly, I think 35 second pace for 26 straight miles um, to, to get that. That's record. unreal. That's so, unreal. It, it is unreal. I mean, even your top, I have a, a friend who is an excellent runner. He just ran his best marathon. It was like two hours and 37 minutes. And that's a just under a six minute mile. And that's cruising. That's running 10 miles per hour for two and a half straight hours. Um, but it just doesn't even just doesn't even yes. come close to running a four and a half minute mile for 26 wow. miles. It's just when you get to that point, oh, 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 one percent of people and any, any given thing, you know, whether it's a uh, running swimming um writing when you get to that one out of every hundred million people or whatever it is it's just just mm-hmm. it's just mind-boggling but anyway some interesting stuff there yeah yeah so my story of the week is a lot more somber a lot more melancholy um when you're watching so we're actually recording yeah. this on thursday the day that all this happened you will be watching this a week from now so do 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 how's that for time um anyway uh unfortunately today's the day that the news was announced about the titan five the five person um um i guess submarine it was kind of like homemade almost i mean not quite homemade that's that's a little unfair to say but it wasn't much better Uh, basically submarine that a bunch of um very rich people when they were going to go explore the uh titanic wreckage and um, anyway, a, unfortunately, the sub, it appears, imploded. And so, um, kind of crazy. I, I think a lot of the information is still kind of coming out and developing. I mean, literally just earlier today, the Daily Wire reported that the Navy had had it known uh, of an implosion that happened. Like, uh, like, they had heard sounds consistent with an implosion of that sort of vessel days ago in that area um and so who knows the, the way that information and all that travels around and whatever like who knows in a week from today like when you're actually hearing this what the current understanding of what happened will be as of right now as i'm as i'm speaking right now it appears that they did not have like a gruesomely you know horrifying um period of asphyxiation and hypothermia and all of that it seems like they died probably within milliseconds, basically of an implosion that happened due to literally being crushed by the pressure of the water. So um, they would literally just just die, be alive one second and not be yeah. alive the next with no warning, yeah. um, which is really bad, uh, especially if they didn't know the Lord uh, as a Christian. Uh, you know, that's really sad and really bad and not a good thing. Um, but, you know, they didn't they didn't suffer in those final moments. So. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's not, it's not good. It's, it's uh, really sad. And so 
the moral of the story, and I really, I truly don't mean to make light of this, but I'm also being dead serious. The moral of the story is don't go ocean exploring with parts from Home Depot driven with a PlayStation controller. It just seems like a bad idea. Don't do it. And that's <laughs> probably so. My so. Uh, wife showed me a Facebook post that my sister made, and I actually think it's it's quite true. And you just don't think about it. So, so these five people with a lot of money willingly took the submarine down and obviously a tragic incident, but so they willingly did that. And then think how much hundreds of thousands, probably millions of dollars of resources went to trying to find and rescue them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Think about all the people around the world unwillingly, you know, thinking of children who were like in poverty or whatever, and how many kids could be like fed, put in orphanages of all that money yeah. to rescue five people who willingly put their lives, you know, at risk going in the summary, all that money moved to something yeah. else. It kind of puts into perspective. It's just weird. The priority of how much the news focused on five people. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously it, it's going to get newsworthy anyway, because it has to do with the Titanic and all that. But the amount of yeah. money and time and resources that went into trying to find the five people, it's uh. It's just yeah. so, it's just crazy where our priorities go with, I don't know, I'm saying we shouldn't have looked for them, but it's just a of fun course. little thought experiment, you know? Yeah, no, it, it is. You know, what's, what's really interesting, I don't want to get political here, but, you know, here we are. Um, it's really interesting how, like, like, actually people don't want to be helped. And I hate to say that, but it is true. Like, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a really good, it's a really good point that like, a lot, and frankly, it was very selfish of them to do this in a way that was not more careful and, and more well thought out. Um, so when all those resources had to be expended, like, did you hear about the apparently, apparently this is real. Apparently there was a $6.2 billion accounting error at the Pentagon I that we just that. magically had six. We just magically had six point two billion extra dollars of pocket change laid around, and we sent that on to Ukraine. So anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. that's literally what happened. So uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but you know, it, it's really interesting because, like, obviously, there are a lot of people, especially business owners, they get a lot of flack because it's like we're making billions of dollars, but look at all the people around the world in poverty. Well, number one. Um, most of those people, because they literally have to, or they would be taxed out there, but like they, they already give a lot of money to charity. Right. And they, they, they actually do spend quite a bit of money trying to help people. What's really interesting. And there's, there's actually, there's like books and stuff written about this as well, too, is that people, a lot of people don't want to be helped. Um, and we can just at least get a little bit of glimpse for this. If you've ever had a pity party, then you're you're looking a little bit into a window of how human psychology works, right? If you if you've ever thought, "Woe is me," yeah, imagine people who their entire life is "Woe is me," and even if you gave them a, a bazillion dollars, they wouldn't have a clue what to do with it. Um, they wouldn't have a clue where to put it. Like what the lottery? Just you know, those are some that's correct. Good yeah that's yeah that's correct so so i don't want to get political and i think the point that was being made there was a very good point at the same time i would also say it's just actually kind of sad and it goes into it actually it's, it's a very relevant topic for marketing and storytelling it's we tell ourselves stories we have family stories that have been passed down and so we believe them because they're part of the culture of our family and of our people group or whatever we think we think things like like i'm always going to be a fat guy 
or <laughs> I'm always going to be poor there's or no way I'm I always going to be persecuted yeah. by the police because of my skin color, right? There's just no way out of my situation. I can't even be bought out of my situation, right? And so anyway, it's just really sad that like, like I wish, I wish that that Facebook post in a sense were, were, were true. Like in other words, I wish that if those resources had been spent on those people, it would have solved their problems. But literally, we know from centuries of research of human psychology and all that, we literally know that it's not the case. And so it's just, right. it's interesting because some people, I'm sure that it wasn't intended this way from, um, I think it was your, your sister, you said you yeah. shared it. Um, I'm sure she didn't intend it this way, but it, there are a lot of people who are actually very judgmental towards people who, who have a lot of money, who worked hard to get yeah. a lot of money because they have a lot of money and the world is starving. But they're leaving out the fact that some people want to starve. As crazy as that sounds, it's also true. So anyway, two things. I think I was thinking mostly of people who actually you can help, like food for the hungry, like actual kids sure. who need food. Like like that. Now, yeah. in the second, uh, I've always thought, so for instance, um, like for, uh, let's say, let's say we sent $50 billion over to Ukraine. Let's just say that's the total amount that we spent over there, right? Mm -hmm. Hey. Like I, I am totally against. I, I'm basically against the government, like a hundred percent. Almost that's a that's all for another time. But <laughs> but at, at the same hand, like I saw people sometimes. I actually wouldn't be opposed if we took whatever if we did have surplus cash, which we don't right now. But if we did end up having surplus cash, if it actually went to good stuff, and I knew that it wasn't going to be a waste like go ahead like put people in housing or, or do whatever you want with it go you got the extra money but of of all the waste that you see and ultimately how much of it just doesn't go to what it's supposed to be for in the yeah. end it actually it absolutely is a waste no matter what resources you just designate for whatever project or area you want to help out yeah it's pretty crazy i mean one of the most interesting things about like business and government and all of that stuff is that like you're either going to pay the cover like you can literally take the same dollars and buy something nice for your business and if you don't do that because we call that a tax write-off if mm. you don't do that then you have to pay it in taxes to the government at the end of the <laughs> yeah. year it's crazy you have yeah. to pay the money one way or the other so you're either going to pay the government or you're going to buy the ipad like that's the truth i used to get yeah. bonuses at work because like because we all we, we know how the world works. Like, yeah, we did a good job this year. Okay, I got it. You had excess cash. Yeah. And you needed to offload that cash. So everybody got a bonus. Oprah, you get a bonus. You get a bonus. We all got bonuses because the cash <laughs> needed to be offloaded. So they didn't have to pay to the government. Now, thank God they did that. Grateful for it. I used the cash gratefully. Um, but like we all know what's what's going on here. So anyway, it's just kind of interesting. Like there's lots that, that's a whole other topic for another time. Think how many man made just the structure of taxes. Uh, we've created such a, uh, <laughs> just such a civilization built on all these. Not, I wouldn't even call it rules. Just the structures we put in place. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's it really interesting. Some things are great. Some things are not yeah. great. And um, anyway, it is. One thing is. that's great is this video, Steve, which we've come to the end of. We have come to the end of it. So thank you all for tuning in, for checking this out. Hopefully you found, this episode informative and useful. And if you're going to, you know, be doing anything on the internet or anything with, you know, selling things or 
writing things or whatever, I think this is going to be useful for you. So I hope you enjoy it and um, we'll catch y'all in the next. Yeah. Don't go looking for the Titanic now. Bad idea. See you next time. <laughs>